Hello, hello. Good morning to you. Open up if you've got your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. I hope you're enjoying our series, Finding Freedom, as we read through this amazing book. Uh, Just some incredible truths here uh, for us to do us good, to strengthen and encourage us. We're going to come to a passage this morning that has been it's uh, been the focus of some debate and discussion. As I kind of look through my various commentaries, they all kind of say different things. They come at it from a different angle, which is fine, because I think we're going to step back from that this morning. And I believe we're going to see something that God's going to really speak to us through. In fact, really helpful, just Kev brought that word earlier, about positioning ourselves. That's really where we're going, positioning ourselves for praise. And through this passage and uh, uh, as we read and look at it together, I hope the Lord is going to be encouraging you to position yourself where he wants you to be, where he wants you to live. So keep that in mind as we go through, because really we're, we're addressing uh, in that the purpose of the law. Paul has, he said some things about the law previously, and Steph last week began to touch on that, didn't he? And as he said some things which kind of in a certain light can seem a little negative, that the, the law has these kind of seemingly negative effects upon us, it might raise questions in uh, certainly the the minds of the original hearers, particularly the Jews who had prized the law for many uh, thousands of years, in fact, it's been a really important part of their life. God had given it to them. And so it might raise some questions in their mind. He addresses those. Now, they might not be your particular questions that you have, but as I say, nevertheless, as we look at this and understand the purpose of the law, in fact, the glorious purpose of the law, I hope the Lord will use it to, to help us position ourselves for praise, to position ourselves where he wants us to be and how he wants us to live. So we're gonna, I'm going to read the first part of the passage. I'll deal with it in two halves, really. So we'll look at the first half of the passage from in chapter 7, verses 1 to 13, where Paul says, picking up on this, this discussion about the law, what shall we say then? That the law is sin... By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandments might become sinful beyond measure. So Paul will go on to talk in a little while. We'll, we'll, we'll get there towards the end of our time together. But particularly going forward into verse 8, he will talk more about Jesus and especially the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit in our lives. But right now his focus is somewhere else. His focus is on the law and what he calls the flesh. It helps to understand that as we read this passage. He's focused on the law and the flesh. So just to kind of define our terms, the law, I mean, if you read it carefully, he uses the law in different ways, but primarily here, we're thinking of the law as things like the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've heard of those. Do this, 
don't do this, do this, don't do this. This revelation of God by which he says, this is how I want you to live before me. Don't steal, don't lie. Paul mentions coveting and so on. Basically, what to do and what not to do as we live out our lives in the way that God wants us to. So that's the, the law. It has a range of meanings, but that's our focus this morning. And then he talks about the flesh. And by the flesh, he doesn't necessarily just mean this kind of... Uh, this kind of physical stuff here. It's really a term for fallen humanity in Adam. Adam fell, he sinned. And since then we live in this broken world and we are part of that broken world. So it's not just so much just our physical body, but a person's self-centered, sinful nature that is hostile to the Lord, to God and his ways. It's part of that first broken, perishing creation, just the flesh. So it's good to keep that in mind um, as Paul writes here because what we're reading is a purposely partial picture of humanity as it relates to God's commands, revelation of, of righteous living that God has given us. So we'll look at three things um, and then we'll look at a fourth one a little bit later on about the law, really. What, what is the law? What's it for? And the first thing that we see in this passage, Paul says the law reveals sin. Sin, by the way, f- falling short of how God wants us to live. Missing the mark morally, we might say. In verse 7, Paul says, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had said, do not covet, thou shalt not covet. So there's something of a revelation of what, what is right and what is wrong in the law. Now in that, of course, there is this sense of right and wrong in, I would hope, most people. Even if they hadn't heard the Ten Commandments, there would be a sense that some of those things are not right. We're made in God's image and we're not as broken and as bad as perhaps we could be. And so there is a sense, and it, it shows itself in different ways and different people and different cultures and so on, that some things are just wrong and some things are right. But the thing is, sin is deceptive. It disguises itself. It often looks like something that's really good. And so there can be a a blurring and a, and a, a, a fading out of focus in terms of what is right and what is wrong. We often justify our own actions. The heart is very deceitful. And we can think, well, that, that's right and that's wrong. But when it comes to us, we can begin to justify ourselves. Well, it might have been wrong for them to do it, but not for me. Or perhaps this thing isn't so wrong after all because it seems such the right thing to do for me. We can justify our own actions. We can become desensitized to things. We, everything being equal, we might think certain things are right and certain things are wrong. But actually, as we, we do them, maybe individually or as a society, our conscience is seared and be, it becomes less clear that, of what right and wrong is. And so the law comes and God makes it kind of clear and objective. Say, this is right and this is wrong. This is what I want you to do and this is what I don't want you to do. It brings a clarity to it, certainly more, more clarity than our own kind of subjective feelings about what is right or wrong. Or the rule of thumb, which often people work on, which is if it feels good, it must be right. It feels this is the right thing to do. Our feelings can lead us astray. In fact, our desires can lead us astray. We so want something. We so want to do something. We so want something that we begin to think this must be right for me to have it. But God's law comes and brings some clarity and says, no, this, this is what is right and this is what is wrong. And Paul said, we'd have been a bit in the dark if the law had not come along and revealed these things to us. To Eve in the garden, the fruit seemed good to eat. 
The forbidden fruit looked good and so seemed right. And so it is with us that the forbidden things sometimes look good, but they're not. God's commands around sexual ethics make clear what would otherwise very quickly become unclear as our desires deceive us. It seems so good. It must be the right thing to do. It's interesting, though, as well, that Paul specifically mentions coveting, the last of the Ten Commandments, and it opens up something which Jesus, in fact, expands upon later on. You might think that it's all about do this. In fact, I said it, didn't I? Do this and don't do this. But actually, God is interested in the heart. He's interested in our attitudes as well as our actions. And that's because he's a God who is, what would be the right word, authentic. He, his actions come out of his desires and his attitudes. When he acts in love towards us, it's because he genuinely loves us. And so as we're his representatives and his image bearers on this earth, he doesn't just want us to outwardly do something while inwardly we feel a different way or we have a different attitude. He's actually, he actually cares about things like hatred and anger and unforgiveness. Even if it doesn't affect, so we might think, the things that we do. He cares about that. He cares about lust, not just about the things that we might do. He cares about attitudes. And so that last coveting, a coveting, you have wanting something, a deep desire for something which isn't yours, which belongs to somebody else. Oh, I wish I had that. And maybe you never do anything about it. But God cares about how we, how we think inside. Because it's actually he's a God with integrity. He acts the way he, he desires and thinks. He wants us to be kind of cut us. In, no, that's a bad enough. He wants us to be the same inside as we are outside. In fact, Jesus kind of came against the Pharisees, didn't he? He said, you're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, it looks all good, but on the inside, it's just dead men's bones. God cares about the heart. He's always cared about the heart. And so God, God's law he speaks about the heart as well. And we might not have known that. We might not have thought, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do this, but I can have this secret inner life and that's okay. But the law comes along and says, no, God cares about your heart. He cares about what's going on inside that maybe nobody knows. It's important to him. This is important to know. There's something here that perhaps we need to remind ourselves about. And ultimately, of course, the law is a revelation of God and his nature. The law reveals that God is truthful and faithful and loving. And when these things are not part of us from the heart, we misrepresent him. And ultimately, we sin against him. So that's the first thing. You can think of the law like a, a, a light that shines on what is right and what is wrong. So we, can, we might have some vague idea, but we kind of get muddled very quickly. He makes it clear. This is, this is how I want you to live, and this is how I don't want you to live, and I want you to live from the heart. <coughs> so the law reveals sin. It points it out. But Paul goes on to say something more shocking, and perhaps this is just bringing out a sense of this, uh, I wouldn't have known sin. That word known is actually quite a deep word. It's not just intellectual knowing and understanding. He says... In verse 8, going on to verse 8 now, sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandments, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. And I don't know if you catch the radical, shocking nature of that, but sin, it, it needs, and the flesh, it needs something to rebel against. It is at heart rebellion, a rebellion against God. The flesh is that part of us which is against God. And so when God's commandment comes, Sin springs to life. At last, now something to rebel against. Has God said that? Right. 
will do the opposite. And in fact, sin begins to imagine all kinds of inventive ways to go against what God has said. It can be very inventive. It uses God's command as an inspiration to break it in all kinds of ways. Now, this is really important because, again, we might not have known this about mankind, about humanity. We might have thought that we're basically good. And if we have the right information, the right education, if we're pointing in the right direction, that's great. We could live right. But in fact, here we discover the law actually reveals there's something terribly broken about humanity. That in fact, when God's righteous command, his holy command comes, it's not a question of going, all oh, right, now I know what to do. Actually, in the, in the flesh, there's something which is stirred up in people that says, right, that, I'm not going to do that. And it might be a strange thing to understand about ourselves, but that's the way that we work in the flesh. It's important to know part of the role of the law is to provoke sin in us. Now, the other restraining factors I, I know in play in, in culture, in society, and the, the way we're brought up and so on, let's say we're not as bad as we could be, and there are various restraining things that are going on. But nevertheless, it's important to know this aspect of the law. It's, it's a bit like, if you think of it, the law is like a... I did do a picture. That, that isn't, in fact, a squashed hedgehog there. Can you tell what this... No, yeah, it isn't. Can you tell what it is, though? It's an yes, alligator or crocodile. I, can't, I don't know which is which is which. You can, perhaps you can work it out from the nose. But the, the, what the law does, I don't know if you've been in one of those swamps um, with the, the logs kind of floating around. And uh, you, it's important to know, is it a log or is it an alligator? Because you don't want to go swimming if you get it wrong. So you get a stick. I'm sure you've done this. And <laughs> you, 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 last, exactly, yeah. <laughs> And you, you, you poke it. And what, what happens if it's a log? Nothing. But you'll know what happens if it's a crocodile. Suddenly the crocodile springs to life and snaps the stick. And in fact, that, that's a little bit like the law is doing. The law is kind of prodding us. It's, it's, it's saying, do you, please don't think that, 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 that we're good at heart in kind of a natural humanity. The law comes along and it, it prods and provokes. And so, you can see it sometimes in small ways that, we rebel against the law. We do precisely what God said not to do. In fact, we become proud and arrogant about doing it. We, be, we be, this think it's a kind of a badge of honor that we, we act in certain ways. The law comes along and it actually provokes the sin in us that kind of lie dormant. It needed something to rebel against. Rebels need something to rebel against. Ah, now God has said this, I will do the other. Of course, this is how sin works. And going back to the, the Garden of Eden, what happened when God's command came? God's command came, and that was the cue for the serpent to slither up. God said, and the serpent slithered. And immediately there's opposition to what God has said. And actually what the serpent tries to do is try to fudge it and blur it and, and deceive humanity such that we would disobey God. It's the same in us, with the sinful, with us with, in our sinful nature at least, that when a command comes, there's a, a slithering that goes on. So how can, let's, how can we actually go against that? So that's the first, the first thing, the law reveals sin. The second thing, the law actually provokes sin, such as our state in our, in our natural selves, in, in Adam. But third, the law condemns sin. 
The third thing we see in this passage, now moving on to verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. See, the law promises life. If you, again, in the garden, if, if you do this, you will live. But if you don't, you will die. It's the same, actually, not just in the, in the garden, but in Sinai with the, the law, as God gave the law to Moses. If you do this, you will be blessed. If you do this, the, the curse, you'll die. Obey and live, disobey and die. This is, this is what the law declares. And even without that, it's like we have a conscience that when we do things that are wrong, there's something in us that just senses the, the reality that sin leads to death. We experience it in different ways. And you can push that down, of course, and we can um, respond to it in different ways. When we know we've done something wrong, we can become fearful or miserable. Or as we already said, we can justify ourselves. In my case, it was okay. We can try and fight our case because we're beginning to feel so bad about the things that we have done. We might search out the best arguments on the internet for why there is no law because there is no lawgiver. We might try and kind of try and soothe our conscience that way. Well, actually, there's no real right and wrong. It doesn't matter that I've done that because we're sensing this, this death. Sin leads to death. Maybe we attack the messenger. Sometimes people can get quite prickly when they feel like you're um, pointing something out that they've done wrong. And I, many of us are like this. It just feels uncomfortable because there's this connection between sin and death. Sometimes you might just kind of blanket right out, say it, God's law is evil, which is what Paul is arguing against here. So that's, it's not the law that's the problem. It's sin in people, that is the problem. The law reveals how bad sin is. That's what Paul comes to the conclusion right at the end here. It says that it's to show how sinful it is. God speaks and it reveals that actually we haven't lived the way that we should. We've fallen short. In fact, as God speaks, we kind of, it makes matters worse in some respects. It, it, what does it Spurgeon say? It, it stirs the, the mud at the bottom of the, the pool and proves how foul the waters are. It's, oh no. And more than that, we come to an awareness and a conviction in ourselves that actually I'm in trouble. I remember when I first kind of, God began to open my eyes and I heard the gospel and I began to, re- I began to realize I'm morally bankrupt. I'm, I'm in trouble because of the things that I have done. I began to get really concerned about that and suddenly I, I received and I heard the gospel in a different way because this is this sense of the sin leads to death. It's a separation from God who is good. The law in a sense acts as a detector for a deadly disease that humanity has in our rebellion against God and if that, is, if that goes on for too long, we're in real, real trouble. So that's just by, by way of just the first three points. We're going to come on to the second point now. We're going to look at part two of this passage, which is really where much of the discussion and debate kind of revolves around. And the difficulty that, that different commentators has is who is the I that Paul is talking about? I'll read it in just a moment, but just to kind of to prep us before we do that. Who is the I? that Paul is talking about. I this and I that. He's describing what seems to be his experience. Well, as I say, I think we can step back from that. I don't think we need to solve that completely to get the main message, to get the point of what Paul is saying. So I don't want to get too sidetracked on that. In fact, it, it could be a collage 
of different elements from Adam. It fits Adam kind of well in some respect, Israel in some respects, Paul kind of pre and post conversion in some respects. And this is the different options that people kind of try and fit together. But if we just take a step back from that in the terms of our purposes this morning, and there is a description here in the first person present tense, which vividly describes an experience of someone relating to the law in the context of the flesh. Remember, that's Paul's focus here in that passage. He's going to move on to talk about life in the spirit. Here it's life in the flesh as relating to God's commandments. And I think it could well be in the first person where it's just so vivid, it makes it easy for us to identify and so maybe you identify with parts or aspects of this this morning. You say, I kind, of that, that, I kind of feel a bit like that, or I can see myself in that. Well, I think that's, that's helpful because there's a, there's a place that God wants you to, to stand and position yourself, which is perhaps a little bit different, radically different to where you are right now. So let's, let's read the passage, and um, hopefully you catch something of the vividness of it and won't get sidetracked in some of the, the debate. For we know, Paul goes on in verse 14, that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And I hope you hear the agonized cry of this position that's being, this experience that's being expressed here. It's a picture of someone relating to the law in the flesh, or perhaps we might say trying to be a good person in their own strength. They're kind of, they've got a sense of what is right, and they're sort of aiming for it, but they're just missing it time and time again. It's a picture of someone acting largely outside of Christ in the Spirit, or if it, if it is, those things are very much in the background. And in the foreground, we have life in the flesh as relating to God's commands and God's law. And the first thing we want to note from this is it makes you miserable. This is misery. You, you read the agony of this passage. What a wretched man am I. This is horrible. I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. This is painful. You can see and recognize the good you should do, but you don't do it. Quite the opposite. The law has this illuminating effect. I can kind of see what I should be doing, but as I try and do it, I don't do it. In fact, it just seems to make matters worse the more I try. And then I feel condemned. I feel awful about myself. I, I feel death so close because I know I'm failing. It's a miserable place to be. It's, it's like banging your head against a brick wall time and time again. I just I can't get through this. It's painful and difficult. I'm not where I want to be. 
And by the way, Christians can make the most miserable sinners. And here's how it works out. It sometimes plays out. Sin looks attractive and safe. That looks good. That seems to be right. It doesn't look too dangerous. But the thing is, at that moment, we have to distance ourselves from Christ and the Spirit in order to go in that direction. I mean, we think we're kind of we're reasonably safe in doing it. We kind of weigh it up. And sin is all the time acting to deceive us and to disorientate us. And it, it looks good. It, it must be okay. And in some sense, maybe we think it isn't okay, but we think, okay, I'm going to do that. And we put ourselves in a crazy way, again, under bondage to sin. We think it's worth it. I mean, it's, it's strange, but it, it, it often plays out in our lives like this. In fact, even with um, God's people coming out of Egypt, they kind of wanted to go back at one stage. It doesn't make sense, but this is how it works out. Sin doesn't make sense. And of course, as we start to do whatever it is that we, we kind of uh, had to walk a little bit away from the, the life in the Spirit, it kind of feels good, but not as good as we kind of hoped it would feel. Because you can't enjoy sin in the way that you're used to if you're a follower of Jesus. Because there's the spirit in you which is just grieved. And it, it it's maybe can be a little bit frustrating. I thought this was going to be better than it was. And there is a certain kind of enjoyment of it that comes. But it's short-lived often. And not as good as we might have thought. And then we're, perhaps we kind of go a little bit further and think, well, perhaps I need to just press a little bit further into this. Or perhaps it's, it, I can act like a drug. You know, sometimes when your first hit of a drug can be kind of, wow, that's amazing. The next one is not going to be so amazing. And the next one is not going to be so amazing. But actually, you need to keep taking it in order to, to lift you from, your, from your, uh, the, the worst way that it's leaving you. And the trouble is, sin can then change its tack and begin to spring its next trap, which is to say, now there's no way back. You can't go back. You know some of those... Uh, it's a valve, isn't it? You can go one way, but you can't go the other way. And sin will try and lie to us. that if now, now you've done that, you've blown it, you can't go back. There's no way back. Or, it, or if, it, if there is a way back, the way back is to be good enough. The way back is to sort your life out first. The way back is to try a bit harder. You know what the right thing to do. Now have another go at doing it. And then maybe God will take you back. Or then maybe people will accept you back. Sin's deceptive like that. Can you see what happens? We, we've walked away from the dynamic of Christ and the Spirit, and we'll look at that in a moment. We'll touch upon that. And we've come into this world of the Spirit and the flesh, and er everything is deceptive and wrong, because there is a way back. And that is the way back is not to try harder in our own strength, because we'll fail again. We'll get it worse again. In fact, we'll just go into a spiral, and things will get worse and worse, because that's how it works. And we've seen that in the first kind of passage that we've looked at. But here's the thing, and here's the good news, whether you're a Christian or not, if you can identify with any aspects of this passage, here's the thing. Read on. Read on to what Paul says next. Don't just say, oh, wretched man that am I. Don't just think, oh, oh wretched woman am I. Don't just think, oh, oh, is that what I'm expected to feel like as a Christian? Oh, maybe this is, this is life for me. No, it is not what God wants for you. You read on. Not, don't just stay wretched person that I. What is the next thing that Paul says? He says, I was like, here it is. Who will rescue me from this body of death? That's a good thing to say. I just wretched. In fact, that was me just as I began to be convicted of my sin. As I heard the gospel, I heard it for years and suddenly God began to, to open my eyes. And suddenly the kind of a, 
I guess, aspects of what is right and wrong began to become clear to me. And I realized, oh, I have done wrong. And I suddenly actually was made to do with my heart in many ways. The attitudes that were kind of swirling around inside me. Yikes, this is, this is not good. And I, I saw it. And I couldn't really get past it. And I couldn't do any better off my own back. And I knew it, I knew it meant death. And so what a wretched man am I. And then, who can rescue me? There must be a rescuer. If you're thinking, who can rescue me? That's a good thing to think because you've realized it's no good trying harder. It's no good me kind of trying to pull my socks up and be a better person. You've, you've, you've realized that's not working. Who can rescue me from this body of sin and death? Great question. And Paul goes on to answer it. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, there is a rescuer and there is a way out of this and it's in Jesus and through Jesus. And so we have this wonderful thanks be, praise be to God through Jesus Christ. The law leads us to Jesus. The law leads us to Christ. It, it shows us our need of him. Not just that we would have a helping hand, but it, in, our, in our complete depravity, it shows us I need a rescuer. I need someone to get me out of this because I, have, I do not have it in my own strength to do it. In fact, left to my own devices, I will get worse and worse and worse and worse. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I'm, I cannot leave it until next week to, uh, to un, unpack it. And we're going to hear perhaps more about life in the Spirit next week. But there are a few words here which are worthy of expansion right now to, to do us good and to help you position yourself right if you can relate to any aspects of what we've just read, this first-hand account. It's not try harder, but it's thank God is the answer. That's the way back. Not try harder, but praise God. And so I've just got a few things here as we unpack this. Praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the first thing here, maybe I'll do these in a slightly different order. I mean, it's just wonderful to hear the contributions that have come this morning. You remember Andrea talking about dad. Dad. So if you're a Christian, the first thing you do, if you're, if you're stuck here way back, don't, not, not try harder. First thing you do is say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that I am your son. I am your daughter. I thank you that I'm a child of God. That's who I am. Our identity is not a wretched sinner if you're a Christian. It's a child of God. Remember, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, pray like this, our Father. Start right there. We'll get to kind of, to forgive us in just a moment. Our Father. So that's the first way back. Now, who am I? I'm a child of God. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Daddy. I'm a child of God. You see, that's, that's the way of the Spirit. That's, that's not the way of the flesh. The flesh knows nothing of that. If you're kind of messed up, if you're in a place where you think, I don't know how I'm going to get back. Wretched man am I. Wretched woman am I. Well, here's the way back. Father. And if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, well, there's a way back by which you can know God as your heavenly Father. And let's look at our next point right now, which is praise God that your sin is paid for. Wonderful how Leslie read out those words. You know, Jesus comes and says, don't be, look at my hands and feet. Don't, don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Look, look. So who are, we in, who are we in Christ? We're sons, we're daughters. Jesus comes along and says, look, I've dealt with it. It's dealt with. It's, it's done. It's finished. Your sin, your moral failure is dealt with. Look at my hands and feet. He died for us. He died for sinners. He didn't 
die for good people. He died for you and me, messed up people who were doing worse and worse and worse. And so praise God. This is the way back. Praise God. We've done nothing yet. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying in my place. Thank you that you paid for my sin. Thank you for your hands and feet pierced for me. This is, this is a wonderful way back that we have. Praise God, there is, a, we are, there is a deliverance from this life in the flesh as the law kind of stirs up, really pointing to our desperate need of a deliberate, deliverer. And so can I say again, don't, so we don't punish ourselves. Of course we will feel grieved, especially so if you're a believer. It, it does cut to our heart. We're, we're grieved in our spirit. God's spirit is grieved in us. How could I have done that? We see perhaps more than anyone just the, the destructive, deadly nature of sin. And so, of course, we, we, we feel bad about it. We feel grieved about it. But what we don't do is beat ourselves up about it. What we don't do is punish ourselves for it because we have a deliverer. And so though we might feel bad and grieved, we praise God, we thank God that he sent Jesus to die for our sin, that we could know what it is to have a clean conscience that our sin could be washed away, that we could be forgiven and brought into relationship with God as our heavenly Father. You see the way back is grace, 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 grace. Thank you, God, for what you have done. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sonship. Praise God for sonship. Praise God for forgiveness of sins. This is the way back. It's, it's not a one-way valve. In fact, if you're a Christian, you've already come through that valve already because you messed up more than you could ever think. Jesus is the way back. Jesus is the door. There's no other way, actually, apart from Jesus. Number three, thank God that the Son has set us free. We're no longer under bondage to sin. You don't have to sin. Now, if to understand this correctly, and kind of there's a slight nuance here, that this side of Jesus' return, we will continually fight against the flesh. That's why if you don't relate to any aspect of that passage, I don't know, that's a little bit strange. If there's no battle in you, there's no fight against sin, you're living a perfect life, great, but that would surprise me, given what uh, God's Word says, that none of us can claim to be without sin. We, we all kind of mess up and fail in different ways. In fact, Jesus taught his disciples, didn't he? He said, I want you to pray every day for forgiveness, because there's always going to be things that you're going to fall short of. So this side of Jesus' return, this is a battle that is in us, but... My heart really to communicate, I believe it's on Paul's heart and God's heart, is that we don't live there. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like the ridges on the side of the road, if you like. It kind of alerts us to something is wrong. We're messed up, wretched person am I. You know those, those things on the side of the road. You got a bit, uh, I don't know, distracted or something. Oh, course correction. I'm positioned wrong. I don't want to be positioned there. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not supposed to live wretched person of mine, miserable. No, I'm supposed to live actually filled with joy and delight and praising the Lord. And this is how we move from one to the other. You might find yourself, you're starting, you've got into a pattern of sin and you're beginning to feel wretched. And um, it, it, even something they've done in the past, which is kind of coming back to dog you and haunt you and you're just kind of be, starting to beat yourself up about, that's the ridges of this, this motorway. You're not supposed to live there. Praise God for Jesus. Praise God for the way back. Praise God that actually we can live free. We can do the right thing. He empowers us to do the right thing. And it starts with thanking him for that truth. And by faith, receiving that truth, even before we've kind of stepped out in it. We ask for forgiveness 
from our heavenly Father, and he forgives us. He's faithful and just. We confess our sins. He forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So I hope you can see that the way back is, is praise. Praise. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. I can't do it. You have done it. This is the way back from misery to rejoicing and actually empowered living where we can obey what God has said from the heart, not perfectly this side of Jesus' return, but increasingly so. And then, of course, we ask God for help. We praise you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you set me free from sin. Thank you that I can overcome. Now I need your help to do it. Would you fill me with your spirit? I'm going I'm to go again, but in my own strength, I can't do it. I need you. And so we step out again to follow him. Not kind of weighed down with, with misery and just and defeat, but no, in Christ, I can, do, I can do it in Christ with his spirit in me. I can do it in his strength. And so we step out to do it in faith and love to follow Jesus again. Not weighed down by yesterday's sin, but actually buoyed up by the joy and delight of his forgiveness for us, his presence with us, his delight over us, and his fatherly care for us. There were often consequences for the things that we do. It's just the way it works out. But as we walk through them, we can be confident in our heavenly Father's shaping of us and strengthening of us and bringing glory to himself through us as we walk through it and trust him again. This is the wonderful way back. I wonder if the band would like to come back. Maybe we could all stand together. This is maybe different ones of, of related different aspects of what we've seen here. I just want to pray for all of us, really. But particularly if you're feeling like wretched, miserable, powerless, or condemned, praise God for Jesus. That's the way out of that. Praise God for Jesus. There, who can rescue me from this body of sin and death? Well, it's Jesus. He has done it. It's wonderfully that is powerfully working out in our lives right now. It will be fully completed one day at his return. But Father, I pray right now for those that have just been struggling in this kind of this, this, this tussle, this battle with, between sin and the flesh. Lord, that, that you would enable them to be repositioned. In fact, to reposition themselves again in Christ. Lord, where those perhaps that don't, don't know you at all, but are just experiencing, just as I did all those years ago, that battle that, be, that began to appear in me. I can't do the right thing. I've failed. There's, 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 there's death that this entails. I need a deliverer. Father, I pray there might be some today that trust you for the first time as their, their deliverer from this body of sin and death. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would be in Christ this morning. I thank you for this better way, this better position to live our lives in the position of the security of sonship, being sons and daughters. And I pray by the Spirit you would come and bring a wonderful assurance of that to different ones right now as they position themselves by faith away from that place of defeat and despair and into that position of sonship in you. God, I thank you that your power in us enables us to live free. Again, Father, we pray for your spirit in us to live right, to make different choices from this point on. It's not inevitable that we sin. Your power is at work in us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. And I pray you'd empower hearts and hands 
this morning to live differently. Father, we break patterns of addictive behavior. Father, we break those chains that have come on us in different ways. Now we pray, Lord, for wonderful freedom to live the way that you have got for us. Father, we pray for joy, being loved and accepted in Christ. We pray, would you be wonderfully with us right now by your Spirit as we praise you, as we thank God for Jesus, as we position ourselves in that place of sonship, praising the one who was condemned in our place and praising the one who obeyed the law perfectly for us and who was at work in us. Father, feelings come and go, but we want to be people of faith. But we decide to follow you. We choose to follow you. We choose to receive your forgiveness. We choose to accept and know your, our sonship in you. And I pray, empower us to live gloriously to you, for you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's praise him. Let's thank God for Jesus and position ourselves right before him.